This morning we'll be reading two scriptural passages. The first passage is from the book of Genesis. It's a narrative, it's part of the story of how Abraham responds to the death of Sarah. After Sarah dies, Abraham has to decide where he is going to bury her. Will he take her back to Haran, where they came from? Or will he bury her in the new land that God has given them? He chooses to seek a grave in Hebron, in Hebron. And the passage we'll read describes how he approaches the people of Hebron and how they respond. The second passage is from Leviticus. We refer to the first five books of the Bible as the Torah. And Leviticus 19 is right in the middle of the Torah. It's geographically in the middle of a Torah scroll. And the idea that it expresses God's call to us to be holy is, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other people, <coughs> the central message of the text, that we should lead holy lives. Our first reading from the book of Genesis 23, 1 through 7. Sarah lived 127 years. This was the length of Sarah's life. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham rose up from beside his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a stranger and an alien residing among you. Give me property among you for a burying place so that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you any burial ground for burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. Our second reading from Leviticus, 19, 1 and 2, and 9 through 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the Israelites and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. And you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. And you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. 
You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand idly by when the blood of your neighbor is at stake. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. When I arrived at the church this morning, I had a significant experience before I walked in the building. There's no police car in the parking lot. When I got to the front door, the door was unlocked and there was no armed guard at the door. At our synagogue in Lombard, Every time we have a service, every time we hold religious school, there is a Lombard police car in our parking lot and an armed guard at our door. The door is never unlocked. The village of Lombard does not provide this for us. We have the honor of hiring off-duty police officers, but every synagogue in America has a security budget. Every mosque in America faces the same challenge. If you drive past the mosques in our community on a Friday, you will see a police car in their parking lots. In recent years, Jews in America have experienced attacks, violent attacks. Almost exactly five years ago, the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh was attacked by a gunman who killed 11 worshipers. Among those 11 worshipers were two brothers. The two brothers had a sister who was a member of our congregation. I had met these two men when they came for their niece's bat mitzvah here in Lombard. Sadly, this is not an isolated incident. I could share many examples The question is, how should we respond to this violent anti-Semitism? Many years ago, swastikas were painted on the wall of Temple Shalom on Lakeshore Drive. It's a big building. Many of you have driven past it. About 3600 North on Lakeshore Drive, facing the lake. The next day in the Chicago Tribune, there was a picture of the rabbis of the synagogue pointing uh, pointing at the swastikas, like this. I called my friend, who was one of the rabbis, and I said to them, said to him, it's very nice that the rabbis can point at swastikas, but why didn't you get the ministers in the neighborhood to come out and point at swastikas? It's a better picture. And he said, we don't know the ministers. 
Throughout my years in Lombard, I have been actively involved in building connections with the Christian and Muslim communities. Before I was here, I was 35 years the senior rabbi congregation at Tzchaim in Lombard. Before I was there, I was for a few years the assistant rabbi at Temple Bethel in West Rogers Park, a more Jewish neighborhood than DuPage County. <laughs> and if you didn't understand that, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> When I came from my interview with the, the search committee of congregation at Tzchaim, uh, one of the members of the committee said, uh, David Baruch was his name, David said to me, Rabbi, what do you think about interfaith work? And I said, you know, in West Rogers Park, interfaith work is for us reform rabbis going to talk, <laughs> going to, talk to the Orthodox rabbis. He said, Rabbi, interfaith is very important to us. And I said, it will be very important to me. And it has been. The Bible teaches us to love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody agrees this is a wonderful commandment, to love your neighbor. But to love your neighbor, you first have to know your neighbor. As we heard in the scripture, Abraham came to the people of Hebron seeking a burial place for his wife, Sarah. He said to the people, I'm a resident alien in your midst. When my grandparents and great-grandparents arrived from Europe, they certainly felt they were strangers in a strange land and they face limits of all sorts. 120 years ago in America, Jews faced barriers in housing, employment, education, and careers. Certain professions were closed to Jews. In other professions, Jews could only find jobs in certain fields. When I was growing up in Minneapolis in the 50s and the 60s, many of these restrictions still existed. We lived in the fine community of St. Louis Park, which had lots of Jewish families. The community next door, Edina, had no Jewish families. When we came to DuPage County in 1981, we weren't sure where we wanted to live. We looked first in Hinsdale, and a realtor in Hinsdale showed us around a little bit, and then she said to us, Perhaps you would be more comfortable living someplace else. We were steered. The someplace else turned out to be Glen Ellen. And we've lived here since 1981, and we've been we are very happy here. Most of the structural anti-Semitism in America has fallen away over the past 60 years. When I was thinking about going to college, I had to consider where would Jews be welcome. When my children were thinking about going to college, they could go anywhere. They didn't have to worry about the Jewish quota. Jews now can work in any industry. Jews can be part of any law firm or be on staff at any hospital, things that weren't true two generations ago. 
my best example. When I was looking, when I was getting ready to retire from being the senior rabbi of the synagogue, I knew I wanted to have an office. But I understood it wouldn't be good for me to have an office at the synagogue. They didn't need me haunting the place. So I already taught at Elmhurst University and at Wheaton College. So I went to one of my friends, a professor at Wheaton College, where I'm guest professor, and I said, can we work some magic to get me an office over here? And the magic was worked. So I think of myself as the unofficial campus rabbi of Wheaton College. <laughs> we have a study group of the president of Wheaton College and seven Wheaton Bible professors together with seven rabbis of Chicago. We meet three times a year. And I always introduce myself at that group in that way. Once I didn't, and he gave me a look, and then I said my line. So I have an office at Wheaton College in Billy Graham Hall. I love, I love saying that. <laughs> While this institutional anti-Semitism has fallen away, violent anti-Semitism has risen. I am working with the, the, board, the Chicago Board of Rabbis to think about how to respond to anti-Semitism. One of my rabbi friends is very concerned about the proud boys of Lake County. I don't want to diminish his concern, but I said to him, this is probably a better job for the FBI and the Anti-Defamation League than for the Chicago Board of Rabbis. It's my idea that we should respond to anti-Semitism by building stronger bonds between the Jewish and Christian communities. So as Reverend Kerry mentioned, I'm promoting this project called From Stranger to Neighbor. And I am going from church to church on Sunday mornings speaking. Um, in November, October, November, I'll be in church every Sunday morning, and so should you. It was obvious of me to turn to Reverend Carey for help. As he mentioned, we're friends. I see you more often than I see many members of my family. <laughs> I already know some of you. I know some of you I know very well. And I look forward to getting to know more of you. Today, after the service, I'll be uh, conducting this Ask the Rabbi session to talk about whatever is on your mind. Really, whatever is on your mind. Here this morning, during the service, I want to mention, share two ideas. First, when I say I am Jewish, I'll say it another way. If someone says I'm a Christian, they're making a faith declaration. And we can, all over DuPage County, people are gathered in churches this morning who have a, come to the church with a position of faith. And the position of faith varies a bit from one church to the other, 
and it's not my place to map the Christian world. I'll leave that to other people. But to say I'm a Christian is a religious announcement, let's say. When somebody says I am Jewish, yes, yes, it's a religious announcement. It's saying generally I observe the Jewish religion. I participate in the religious life of the Jewish people. But when somebody says I'm Jewish, it's also saying I'm a member of the Jewish people. If someone says to me, I'm Norwegian, what are you? I would say I'm Jewish. And they would say, no, no, what are you? Jewish, no, 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 I'm Norwegian, what are you? So, my family came to this country from Lithuania and Belarus. When they lived, when my grandparents, great-grandparents lived in Lithuania, the Lithuanians didn't see my family members as Lithuanians. They saw them as Jews who happened to be living in Lithuania. I feel no particular connection to Lithuania. I can't identify the Lithuanian flag if it was a question on Jeopardy. I just don't know what it looks like. I don't know anything about Lithuanian history. I don't know any words in Lithuanian to say even when I get angry. I don't follow Lithuanian politics. I'm sure Lithuanian has a government and I'm sure half the people are mad at it. <laughs> I don't eat Lithuanian food or sing Lithuanian songs or do Lithuanian folk dances. I don't have a sense of identification with Lithuania but I have a strong sense of identification with the Jewish people. Jewish history is my story. Everything that has happened to the Jews and is happening to the Jews today is happening to me. I know a huge amount about Jewish history. I eat Jewish food. I sing Jewish songs. I can even do forced to Jewish dances. I certainly tell Jewish stories. I feel a strong connection to Jews everywhere in the world. And when Jews someplace in the world are in trouble, I feel it's my obligation to help them. During the days of the Soviet Union, we were com committed to saving Soviet Jewry. And we worked very hard on this in the 70s and the 80s. I even went to the Soviet Union in 1986 to pretending to be a college professor, bringing in religious items and bringing out news. When the Jews of Ethiopia were in trouble, we helped the Jews of Ethiopia move to the land of Israel. With the fall of the Soviet Union, we reached out to the newly emerging Jewish communities. Our congregation works with a the Jewish community worked with a Jewish community in a city called Chelyabinsk in Siberia. It's 11 time zones away. I've been there. As a Jew, I feel deeply connected to the land, people, and state of Israel. I know a huge amount about the Israeli government. I carefully follow Israeli events. Even in the best of times, I read at least one Israeli newspaper every day. I've been to Israel many times. 
I think about 50 times. Our daughter, Abby, her husband and their three daughters lives in Haifa in Israel. There are no degrees of separation between me and Israel. What happens to Israel happens to me. Many Jews who have no sense of religious identity or religious connection feel deeply connected to the Jewish people. Jews who don't know where the synagogue is feel deeply connected to the Jewish people. I want to share one more story. Maybe a story and a half. <laughs> Looking at Reverend Carey here, they have to add in an additional story that he and I are both part of. So the first story. Many years ago in December, my wife and I were out in a restaurant having dinner with friends. Into the restaurant come a group of Christmas carol carolers singing Christmas carols. They sing a couple of Christmas carols, then they pick one diner out completely at random and go up to him and say to him, what is your favorite Christmas carol? We want to sing your favorite Christmas carol. <laughs> so I said to this woman, this earnest woman, I don't have a favorite Christmas carol. And she said, oh, you must. <laughs> and I said, no, I mustn't. <laughs> Inventing a new word. She couldn't imagine that I didn't in some way enjoy the joy of Christmas. Now, I'm not opposed to Christmas. Enjoy your Christmas. <laughs> My wife and I, we have a large white dog. You might see us walking around the north part of our fine village. And in December, we enjoy looking at Christmas decorations on people's houses. And more than once, we've had the conversation how would we decorate our house if we became Christians? <laughs> the accompanying conversation is, if we were Christians, which church would we belong to? This one. <laughs> <laughs> we already know a lot of members. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Kerry and I serve on the committee for the Glen Ellen Prayer Breakfast. One of our big accomplishments for this interfaith prayer breakfast. So, this is unusual that we have an interfaith prayer breakfast. Prayer breakfasts are generally evangelical events without Catholics. I mean, <laughs> select Christians. Here in Glen Ellen, we truly have a broad range of interfaith participation and I think we're both proud to be part of this and proud to be part of the interfaith fabric of the community. When I first got involved in the committee seven years ago, I had to bring an issue to the committee. The great pork debate. <laughs> Could we have breakfast without bacon? Now, I and some of the ministers, I didn't have to carry this issue on my own, we're able to explain to the leader of the committee that inviting Jews and Muslims to a breakfast and then serving them bacon was not exactly an expression of hospitality. 
And I am proud that the past, now for a bunch of years, we have our breakfast without bacon. And we even stopped talking about it. <laughs> it has become institutionalized. It's a question of, can you see me as who I am? That I'm a person who doesn't eat bacon. I'm a person who doesn't sing Christmas carols. But can we see people in our community who look different, who act different, who pray differently as part of the community? The motto of the United States is e pluribus unum, out of many, one. I speak often about the weave of the fabric of the community. This is my favorite metaphor. The fabric of the community is made up of many threads. All the threads in the fabric don't have to be the same color, don't have to be the same length, don't have to have the same texture. We can build a strong community if we gather all the threads of the fabric of community and weave them together. Amen.